universe. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Read, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The word of the Lord. For the last few weeks, we've been going through a series called The Strategy, uh, where we're looking at our strategy as a church community and talking about the, the core elements that we have developed over the years. Uh, the last couple weeks, Pastor Todd and Pastor Michelle spoke about uh, nurturing spiritual growth uh, and how that can be done through the Bible and through the work of the Spirit. Uh, the other two elements of our strategy are communicating the gospel and embodying the life and teachings of Jesus. And so for the next couple weeks, we're going to look at communicating the gospel. Uh, and today, the question that I'm going to ask is, what is the gospel? For me, the way that I like to describe the gospel, it's something that I've set up here before multiple times. Hopefully, you're not tired of it yet. But uh, I like to say the gospel is the story of God, and the story of God is the story of what God does for us, not what we do for God. For me, that's just a really succinct, beautiful uh, summary of that. Today, though, I want to get a little bit deeper, go into a, a couple different elements of that, and that is the, the message of the gospel and the method of the gospel. The, the message of the gospel, I want to suggest, is a message of revolutionary love. And if we think of that original statement, uh, that's kind of the, the, the story is about what God has done for us, the way God has loved us. It's a message of incredible, unprecedented, never, never seen before in this world, love. And then the other part is the method. Uh, and what I want to suggest is that the gospel has a method of peace. It is a, a method that uh, can be described maybe in the second part of that, that original statement, that it is not about what we do for God. When we communicate the gospel, when we create any church structures, it is not to get people to do something. It is not to manipulate people. It is about what God does for us, not what we do for God. So today I want to look closely at this text, Romans 1, 16 and 17, and get into these two elements about the message of love and the method of peace that, as I understand it, makes up the gospel. So I'm excited to do this. And let's just, uh, let's just start by jumping in. Romans 1.16 starts off, For I am not ashamed. And that right there gets us going and starts shaping the direction of this, uh, this talk. Because I don't know about you, but uh, there have been times in my life when I would have read this and not completely been able to agree with it. Uh, there have been times in my life when I did feel shame for the gospel or what I thought the gospel was telling me to do. 
Does anyone here resonate with that? Okay, maybe a few people. You don't have to raise your hands if you're, you know, shy. Um, but for me, and for a few people, there have been some times when it's hard to say that I am not ashamed of the gospel. And so I want to get into that. I want to ask why that is. Uh, and I think that relates to these same two elements and maybe how we understand the message of love and the method of peace that the gospel uh, consists of. Uh, and, and the reason I'm, I'm saying that this is something that I've struggled with is because as, uh, as a preacher, um, you've probably noticed this, but really when you're doing anything up front and you're talking and it's something that's personal, uh, it's really hard to, uh, to keep yourself out of it. So often you can tell what a preacher is going through just by what they're preaching about. The stories that they use, the questions that they raise, the issues that they're grappling with. Like we like to talk about things that we haven't totally figured out. Um, and, you know, maybe some preachers are better than others at parsing that out, but, but it's a common thing. And so if you listen to what someone is saying up front, uh, you're probably getting an insight not only into their reading of scripture, but into uh, their actual life and what they're going through. Um, so these are things that I have experienced in the past, and I hope that it's something that, might, uh, that you might resonate with in some way or another. So... I'll, I'll get into the problems more and more detail as we go through the text. So Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. And this is where we start getting into, okay, what is the gospel? Right? We have this gospel about what God does for us, not what we do for God. But what really is the gospel? Uh, we see a couple words here. The gospel of Christ. So gospel, right, is something that was actually around before Jesus, before the Bible, um, at least like the, the New Testament, right, was written. The gospel was a word that people in that society used, right? Other people had gospels. Um, and it was kind of just like a good news, right? You've heard that translated like that before, good news, right? But it was like an announcement, a story, a message. Uh, and so people could have a gospel about a bunch of different things, and it wasn't always religious, right? Um, and so we see here Paul talking about not being ashamed of this news, this gospel, this good news. Uh, and it's a good news of Christ. And Christ, right, is the anointed one. It's the Greek word for the Messiah, uh, who we identify as the man named Jesus. Um, and Jesus just means God saves. Like the translation of, of Jesus is God saves. And so... When, uh, when we're reading this, we're seeing, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the good news that, Jesus, that God saves. I'm not ashamed of the good news that God saves. For it is the power of God to salvation. In fact, that second part is almost just a reiteration of the first part. I'm not ashamed of the good news that God saves. For it is the power of God to salvation. Uh, and we can't, of course, we can't tell this story without actually telling the story of Christ. So, you probably know it. We probably all know it. But it's the story of God becoming human, incarnate, right? God with us, um, Emmanuel. And 
it's the story of, of God becoming a, a person and living among us and loving uh, a small, diverse group of people in his corner of the world from a variety of backgrounds. And while he was here, one of his main messages was the kingdom of God is near, right? Basically teaching that the presence of God is close and that God has goodwill toward us, right? That's how, that's how his arrival began with angels telling the shepherds uh, that like, like peace, goodwill toward men. And yet, Jesus living among us somehow did not fit in. And we rejected him. We sent him to his death. And in none of this did he resist. Then he died. He was buried. And after that, hundreds of people witnessed him again, alive, interacting with them. And he left promising to return again soon. So that's kind of the, the core story there that we're working with. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And this is where we start getting into a little more of what this message really is about, like the full implications of this message. It is for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. This is a message of revolutionary love, radical acceptance for everyone, Jew and Greek, black and white, rich and poor, Israeli and Palestinian, wherever you're coming from, whatever you've done to someone else, it's the message that God came to save you. And the thing is, when I start to forget this, when I start to forget the radical love of this message, I start to revert to understandings of the gospel that then I become ashamed of. Uh, it becomes something less than really radical. And it starts, it starts feeling weird. If, if, we, if we keep going, Romans 1.17, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. We're going to keep getting deeper into this message, right? So the message is about God's righteousness. The message is about removing burdens off of us because of who God is. It isn't a message of adding on to people. One of the things that, uh, that gets me a lot, right, when we're talking about what it means to be a Christian, uh, or what it means to just, I don't know, we talk about being a good person a lot, right? And like, yeah, maybe they don't get everything right, but like, you know, they're a good person, they're trying to be a good person. The revolutionary message of the gospel is that it's actually different from every other, almost every other, philosophical and religious system we encounter. Almost every other religion you go to is about being a good person. Almost every philosophical system is about how to live a good, meaningful life, 
to be a good person. The work systems, economic systems we're a part of are about being a good person, adding value to the community that you're in. And with the gospel story, sure, we can learn lessons from it and we can take it to its logical conclusion and apply it to how we ought to live. But at the core, the gospel is not a religion, not an ethical system, not a series, a framework of moral behavior for how to approach the world. The gospel is a story, a news about what God has done for you and for me. That is what it was from the beginning. That is the one major thing that it will always be, a story about what God has done for you and me. And that is a message that I can get behind. If I think about going and talking to someone and telling them about the gospel, if I have in my mind this idea that, that this has to, like, like that this is going to create more difficulty for them, it's really hard for me to want to, to, want to share that. But if I actually get this in my head and realize that, that, no, wait, the gospel is actually counter to every single thing that this person in front of me has probably encountered in their life. Every single pressure that is telling them that they have to be better, that they have to work harder, that they have to look better, that they have to become a more moral person. Every pressure, the story of the gospel alleviates. It's a revolutionary message of love. And that is something that I can get behind. That is something that I'm not ashamed of. The gospel is a message of revolutionary love about what God does for us. If we keep going, Romans 1.17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The New International Version translates it, righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Faith all the way through. This starts bringing us into the method. We have this message of radical revolutionary love for everyone, counter to every system by which we've, we've, we've built our lives. And then we have this, this method, which is also different from most of the things that we encounter today. A method of faith from first to last. And the thing to me that is, that is so meaningful about this, and that if I start forgetting it, then I start to feel ashamed of the gospel or any attempts that I make to share the gospel, is that this method, this faith-based method, is ultimately a method of peace. It is a method, a non-coercive, non-violent, non-manipulative method of peace. Again, about what God does for us, not about what we do for God. The early, the early um, atheist philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, made the claim that Christianity was actually the worst of all religions because it claimed to renounce power, right? Worshiping the God on the cross, the God who had died. This story that, you know, different from, from all of the the you know, stories and myths of, of, of power and glory that we often run into. These people that worship a God that died. And yet, he, he, he leveled a claim against Christianity that it was the worst of all religions because 
while claiming to worship, uh, uh, well, while claiming to, to give up power, right? To worship a God who lost power, to give up power. It continued to use the same systems and methods of power that every other institution in the world used. And so for Nietzsche, Christianity was terrible because it was not only bad, but it was hypocritical about being bad. It was not only power hungry, but it was pretending not to be power hungry while pursuing power and domination the same way every other institution in the world does. And so for him, Christianity was worse than, than any other religion. And this is why uh, David, David Bentley Hart, a theologian, wrote uh, in response to Nietzsche's claims, Christ is a persuasion, a form evoking desire, and the whole force of the gospel depends on the assumption that this persuasion is also peace. If the, if the persuasive force of the gospel is not fundamentally peaceful, nonviolent, non-coercive, then what are we doing here? If, if it is not peaceful, then we find ourselves in the worst possible position that we could be in. And yet it's really hard sometimes to accept this persuasion of peace. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, the pressures we feel about how we're supposed to communicate the gospel or what it's supposed to look like. But I think one of the reasons that it's so hard to accept that the gospel could actually be a persuasion of peace is because we're living in a different world now than we were a few hundred years ago. These the claims, like, like Nietzsche was in the, the 1800s, 1900s, um, I'm actually not sure when he died, 1800s. Um, fairly recent, right? The last, the last several hundred years. Um, and David Bentley Hart was just uh, very recent. He's, he's currently still writing. Um, but we're coming in this tradition that has a long history, right? Going back thousands of years. And what, what has, 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 has been on my mind let me just start, okay, Charles Taylor. Charles Taylor, Secular Age, writes this. He starts off this book. The book is about kind of the change in Western thought over the last several hundred years. And he starts it off by asking this question. Why was it virtually impossible not to believe in God in, say, the year 1500 in Western society? While in the year 2000, many of us find that it is not only easy, but even inescapable not to believe in God. So he's writing this book and he's trying to figure out why did it, does it seem like everyone believed 500 years ago, and now the default is not believing. And it's, it's easier, it seems easier not to believe. And he suggests a few things that have changed since that time. First of all, there was just this, this worldview where God was in everything, and right? We, we have this language in like insurance contracts about acts of God, right? And that language now kind of is like, feels archaic and, and strange, but it comes from this idea hundreds of years ago that the weather, earthquakes, all of these things were actually acts of God working in and around us. So, so people were living in this world where it just they could see God everywhere, and the weather, and the events taking place. And then beyond that, 
They were in this society that used God as a justification for the way everything worked. The king had a divine right to rule. And if, if God wasn't behind the king, then the king was illegitimate, right? And so all of these different institutions in society used God to prop up their authority. Uh, and so it was, it seemed like people were like living in this world affected by God and all of their institutions, all of the community was uh, supported by God, right? God was like the default. The final thing that he says changed is that people moved from, from living in an enchanted world to a modern disenchanted world. And by that, he isn't talking really about fairies and stuff, but he is talking about sort of just this idea that spirits are around us and present, right? And like demons and angels and uh, all of these supernatural forces are interacting with us. And so the point that Taylor brings out is that people living 500 years ago, for them to give up on the idea of God wasn't just, like, like it wasn't um, a low stakes decision. Because even if there was no God they were worshiping, they still felt like there were, there were things all around, right? Beings trying to interact with them and uh, getting, um, putting them at risk, right? Uh, so they were vulnerable. And so there's these, sort of these three things. And the reason I'm getting at this is because we're living now in an age where we're asking very different questions than they asked several hundred years ago. And yet the, the scope of Christian history goes even beyond that, right, to 2,000 years ago and even, even further. And so sometimes trying to fit 16th century language into our 21st century worldview Sometimes trying to do that, I think, has had an effect of uh, making it difficult to see the gospel as a persuasion of peace. Uh, it, it makes it start to feel uh, a kind of manipulative, kind of controlling. Um, because the main difference, right, is that 500 years ago, God was obvious. God was just there. And... As we've, as we've entered a, a, an era where God is an option instead of an obvious reality for most, this pressure to, to prove God, right, and to provide evidence for God and all of that puts us in this, this mindset where, like, we're, we, we want to know with 100% certainty that God is real before we put trust in him. And yet, trying to do that, I don't know about you, for me, trying to do that never sat very well with me. And, and it's a reason that I would feel ashamed of the gospel, because I knew that doing this, just because of the way my worldview is, our Western worldview is, trying to do this was uh, like denying, felt like denying reality, right? It felt like pushing doubts under the rug. It felt like um, pretending things were different than they actually were. It felt insincere and inauthentic. And yet, 
as I've started to think more and embrace this more contemporary idea of God as an option, right? Like, like something that we don't have 100% proof for. There's evidence, right? We can build up arguments, and that's important. But starting to embrace this idea of God as an option where we, we're always taking like a leap of faith, right? Like there's a gap in that, in that knowledge. That's actually become not only, not only helpful to me, but I think uh, has strengthened my understanding of what the gospel is in the first place. See, this gap is actually uh, an opportunity for beauty, an opportunity for a really, I think, beautiful representation of the gospel. Simone Weil, a poet and activist from the first half of the 20th century, wrote a book called Gravity and Grace, or it's at least selected writings, and one of the chapters in that book is titled, He Whom We Must Love is Absent. He Whom We Must Love is Absent. And in that chapter, she writes, God can only be present in creation under the form of absence. I think the title is so powerful, He Whom We Must Love is Absent, because I think it gets at something that God really wants, actually. More than proof, God created us for love. God isn't primarily concerned with convincing you 100% that God is an incontrovertible fact of life, right? If that was God's main concern, I, you know, it would be taught in physics class, right? We would, we would, God would make a way. God is more concerned with giving you the opportunity to love God, to freely choose. And so it's this actual gap, this question, that gives us the space to safely make that choice, to decide whether or not God is someone we want to follow. Continuing on, Romans 1.17 continues, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Simone Weil, continuing on in that same uh, chapter, writes, he who puts his faith or he who puts his life into his faith in God can lose his faith. But he who puts his life in God himself will never lose it. I think it's really easy for us to get, to get very concerned about our faith. Really to start putting our faith in our faith. If we feel like we're confident about God, if we feel like we know God, we, we feel okay. And yet that itself is not having faith in God. That's having faith in our faith in God. And Simone is suggesting he who puts his life into his faith in God can lose his faith. If, if you are mostly concerned that you have a good relationship with God, that you know God, that you're confident in who God is, then somehow something happens in your life and that confidence starts to fail, you're in trouble. But if, in this community, in your own personal life, if you come to a revelation that God is simply 
good. That God is beautiful. And you have your faith in God, knowing that you're going to change. You're going to have questions and doubts. Things are going to happen to you that will shake the foundation of everything you know. And yet, knowing that wherever you're at, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're going through, God stays the same. That is beautiful. So ultimately, I personally have been ashamed when I've tried to make the gospel do the things that it refuses to do. And number one is to add burdens onto people. The gospel refuses to add burdens onto people. It is a message of revolutionary love about what God does for us. And the other thing that has made me ashamed is when I try to make the gospel remove our freedom of choice, remove the opportunity for love and genuine uh, decision-making to follow God, when it becomes a a coercive uh, tool for change rather than a persuasion of peace that leaves opportunity for love and beauty. The gospel is a message, message of revolutionary love, and it is a method of peace. And when I get to that, when I understand those two things, I am not ashamed of the gospel. When I understand that the gospel is telling a story that is revolutionary to every pressure that a person is facing, every negative downward pressure, pushing them in, telling them to do more, to work harder, to be better, and yet God is setting them free, that's something that applies to everyone. It's not just something for people that are coming out of some kind of legalistic religion. It's also something that every single person here in the city faces, the pressure to grind, the pressure to build. And when I recognize that the gospel is a method of peace, a genuine, non-coercive, non-violent opportunity for free relationship with God, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And listening to our feelings, right, our shame, whatever you're going through, your questions might be different than mine. But listening to those questions, rather than pushing them under the rug, can be an opportunity for you not only to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to actually strengthen your understanding of God in the first place. Yesterday was the birthday of W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, 18th, or 19th and 20th century uh, sociologist, historian, activist, civil rights activist. In an unpublished essay of his called The Aim and Method of Religious Work in College pub- uh, from 1895, He was only in his 20s at this time. He wrote, Students need continually to be impressed by the part that only in the realization of the eternally beautiful is life worth living. That the search for the truth is the sole means of attaining this. And that the use of truth to realize that infinite beauty is goodness. Therefore, know, study, 
learned, for the love of God, leave no stone unturned that may lead to the unraveling of this strangely mysterious universe. And do not think in so doing you are diverting your time, that you are turning from spiritual things. You are turning toward them, for truth is the only path to God. The story of God is about what God does for us, not what we do for God. When we, when we apply that truth to the gospel message, we find ourselves, I find myself, I'll talk for myself, I find myself with an understanding of revolutionary love that I am excited to talk about with others, that I'm not ashamed of. And when I understand the method as a gospel of peace, uncoerced, free choice, all in this context of God's revolutionary love, I find myself freed from the burden to try to manipulate myself or other people. And there's nothing like this freedom of sharing God's love without having to guard yourself to present some kind of perfect picture or without scheming to change someone else, but rather with just total trust in God, God's goodness, and God's provision. It's when I have that that I have nothing to be ashamed of. And that is when I can read in full agreement the key text from today in Romans 1, 16 through 17 which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith.